in your worship guide, there's two things just to pay attention to. One, um, there's leadership training going on tonight, and you can see that. Someone asked, if you're a teacher, we'd like for you to be there. If you're not a teacher and want to come, you can still be a part of that. And then the WMU has Christmas backpack ministry starting, and so please take part in that. And, and we're looking forward to seeing how, how we can help those children. So please do that. We're glad you're here. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? going to do our um, call to worship in just a minute, but um, well, I was going to read the passage of scripture and I can't find it, so we'll read the call to worship. I had it written to the, strong, to the wrong, open to the wrong place, so read with me from First Peter, our call to worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have much to be thankful for, amen? We're gonna get ready to start. I wanna open in prayer. our seminarian, Josh Warren, has completed his first week at Beeson Divinity School. Already taking his first Greek test, and so why don't you pray for us, Josh? Open us up in prayer. John, as he preaches and open our hearts and our minds to your word, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Scriptures today is from Jonah, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay in regard to the vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you that I shall, that I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jodah upon, out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Those of you that saw Josh's Facebook post. I have just completed my first day. And he was so excited about that, you can see, he did the Superman <laughs> I thought that was great, Josh. That was a great post. I appreciate that. Let me uh, draw your attention to some scripture. John 13, verse 34 and 35. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. Flipping back over to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing together. Brethren, we have met to worship, and I am resolved, and let's uh, stand and give all the glory this morning as we worship.
it turns the screws on us to tell us all the things that we're doing wrong and how we need to correct it and everything. And this, uh, this anthem is probably not one that matches much in James, but I, I guarantee you one thing, James would like this one. And I also guarantee you another thing, I like it good enough, and I know this choir is good enough, and they like it, I'm going to step up here and I'm going to sing with them and we're just going to let y'all have it. Here we go. <laughs> Tell Ronnie I did that, okay? <laughs> um, uh, again, I want to thank uh, the church for this time. This will be the last Sunday I'll be with you for a while. I'm not sure exactly how long a while, but it'll be a little while. I'll be having a pretty intricate surgery on Thursday, and we'll be out for a while. So I, uh, it was such a, a perfect placement and a blessing of time. It was all God's timing uh, to be here right now and, and to able to serve in Ronnie's need. And I, I just uh, greatly appreciate how you folks have supported me, how this choir has supported me. And we're doing this for God first and for Ronnie second. And so uh, thank you for that opportunity of, of being able to be here. Um, we're going to sing How Great Thou Art. And, uh, and one of my favorite hymns, and there's not, a, there's not a place in this hymn that doesn't have something for somebody. And uh, so let's stand together as we sing, How Great Thou Art.
church. We're going to do it in the second service as well. Cam, I know your mom and dad. We're just praying he will be more like Richard and nothing like Jewel, right? <laughs> if you knew his great-grand, that his great-grandmother or his great-great-grandma, if you knew her, you know what I'm saying. So, I love Jewel. Our text today is James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And um, we're going to read that in just a moment. But first, would you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and I thank you for the children that just went out of this room, and not just the first graders, but all of them. And it's good to see multi-generations back in this service, and we give you praise for that. I pray for Chris and his ministry. Lord, I know that he needs help with children's teachers and workers, and I just pray that you would stir in our hearts to train up the next generation and the next generation. Father, I thank you for the music that we've enjoyed today. I thank you, God, just for the memories that we have of singing those hymns and, and the choir reminding us of what's ahead for us. So, God, I just praise you. And I ask that you would speak to us through your word now and help us to grow in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know one thing, after the music, if you didn't have a good day today, it'll be my fault. So be, be in prayer for me. Um, James chapter 4, if you can stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12, but I want to remind you of two things as we look at this in the next few verses over the next few weeks. It's coming out of verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's coming from verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And on the basis of that, James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. I was thinking over, over the years, I've, um, I've been trying to use social media as, as a platform for pictures of my family. It's turned more into pictures of my grandsons and, and, um, and, and invitations to come to church try to do that every Sunday morning and Wednesday night and, and scripture verses and quotes, things that I read. I, I've learned that, um, that you're not going to change anybody's mind on Facebook. Y'all have learned that lesson, right? As political season comes and as football season comes, we're not going to change anybody's mind on Facebook. Well, I didn't always know that. There were times that I, I used to be a little bit more controversial in some of my posts especially political things years ago. And, and I remember I was involved in a particular thread of, of discussion about something. And, and there was this lady, I didn't realize who it was. She's not a member of our church. 
I found out later she was a neighbor and um, one that KJ went to visit all the time. But, but it was this lady who kept, she's with the Lord now, so I can say this. Um, she kept writing on everything that I posted, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not lest you, not be, lest you be judged. She, she kept quoting Matthew, judge not that you be not judged. So finally one day I just had enough and I said, is that the only verse you know? And then I went on to try to explain to her that that verse doesn't mean exactly what she thinks it means. Jesus does say in Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. But then he says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And when the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And if you remember in that passage, he goes on to talk about seeing the speck in someone else's eye. And trying to take the speck out of their eye while you have a log in your own eye. And everybody looks at that and says, well, see, we're not supposed to try to take specks out of people's eyes. But that's not what Jesus said. You look at what he said. He says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus never told us to not make judgments. He just tells us not to be so consumed with other people's sin that we ignore our own sin. There are times to make right judgments. There are times to confront sin. There are times to speak truth. But there's never a time to do it in a judgmental way. As I said at the beginning, James doesn't leave verse 6 behind. As a matter of fact, he will continue to show us how to live out verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He will continue to do that all the way through chapter 5, verse 6. So for the next three weeks, everything he's going to say to us is coming from that, that idea of humbling ourselves before God. And I'll show you that as we move through it, but just remember that this is all within that context of being humble before God. Now, I appreciate what Dan said, and I understand, because there are not a lot of hymns written around, don't judge other people. Maybe if we go back to some of the Puritan hymns, we might find some of those, but, but in today's times, there's not a lot of them. And, but this passage hits us all. James hits us all. We tend to spread rumors it's got to be true we read it on facebook right and it's, it's we tend to spread rumors and assume the worst of someone we, we we tend to expose other people leave nothing unsaid and even use the truth to injure other people and what i want us to see in this passage is that our tendency towards judgmentalism shows three views from our life. There are three different views that our tendency to being judgmental will show. The first is our view of the body of Christ. You see this in, in verse 11, the first part of verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, sisters. The one who speaks against evil speaks against his brother or judges his brother. Stop right there for a moment. Do you see that theme, brother, three times? Three times. The, the idea when he says do not speak evil is the idea that we're not to speak down to our brothers. You ever been spoken down to? It's probably one of the greatest causes for our pride to to raise up and, and, and want to argue back when we get spoken down to. But James tells us not to speak down to our brothers and to our sisters. What you say could be true, but it might not need to be said. What you say could be wrong, and it never needs to be said, right? So it could be true, might not need to be said. Could be wrong, definitely doesn't need to be said. But here's the thing. 
What we see in James is, is you don't have to spread lies about someone to violate this passage. It happens when we speak down to others. Why is it so important? William Barclay is not trusted in some areas of, of, of his scholarship, but he, he does a great job with words and other things. And he says, there are few sins that are condemned as thoroughly as gossip, slander, and evil speech. Few sins in the Bible that are condemned as thoroughly as gossip, slander, or evil speech. He said, in Romans, Paul classifies the slanderer as a hater of God. And, in, and Barclay says this, and I'll close with this quote. You can search the Bible from cover to cover. Not one good word is spoken about gossip, about evil, about evil speech, about critical comments, about backsliding, backbiting, or ugly talk. Not one good word. And so if we love God, we obey his commands, right? We understand that one of the commandments is that we shall not take the Lord our God's name in vain. And so it's, it's a lot more than just using that word and a curse word, obviously, but, but we, we seek to speak positively of God. We, we don't use his name in vain. We don't talk down of God. But what James is showing us is if we love God, then we will obey his commandments. And his commandments not only deal with how we address God, but they deal with how we address our brothers and sisters. If we love God, we'll love them. If I love God, I'll love you. If we love God, we love each other. And because we love each other, we don't speak down to each other. We may have to point out sin from time to time, but we don't speak down to one another. Remember that what we do and say to others, we do and say to Christ. Jesus said, to the extent you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. We are all part of the body of Christ, and so if I say something ugly to you or you say something ugly to me or we say something ugly to someone else, there's a sense in which we're saying it to Christ. We have to remember that. The way we talk to one another shows our view of the body of Christ. We ought to lift each other up, but, but it also shows our view of God's law. It shows our view of God's law. That's the second part of verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. Remember, he says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Now he says, you're not a doer if you do this. To disregard the law is to set yourself over it as a judge. And that's true in any area of, of the Bible. And the Bible tells us how to live and what to do and what not to do. And, and we put ourselves over that and don't do what he says. We're setting ourselves up as a judge over the law of God. You remember what James has said in, in, in James chapter 2, verse 8 specifically. He says the royal law is that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Remember that? He said, this is the law. And, and Jesus summed it up that way. And, 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 and the other disciples and others summed it up that way. The royal law is, is that you love your neighbor. You, of course, love God first. That's, and then you love your neighbor as you love yourself. But in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes guilty of all of it. So we can be carrying ourselves with great holiness in every aspect of life but but if i'm slandering or i'm gossiping or i'm talking down about someone or down to someone james is saying i'm violating the entire law it's not a small issue when we speak down to our brother or our sister we ignore god's word and and when we ignore god's word we act as if god's word isn't important to us and when we act like it's not important to love our brother or our sister we we become the judge of the law of god there's a great danger in setting ourselves up as the judge 
I think maybe it's good to stop for a moment and ask ourselves, why would we speak down to someone? What would cause us to do this? What would cause us to slander or to, to speak evil to someone or of someone? What, what would cause it? Well, it, it goes back to chapter 4, verse 1. It's the passions that are at war within us. It goes back, you remember James chapter 3, verse 14. It's, it's better, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We cease to rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we don't weep with those who weep. We, we tend to rejoice when those are weeping and weep when those are rejoicing because somehow we think we deserve what they have. And so when we think that way, we talk down toward others. I said it last week. I'll remind you again. Ray Pritchard said we, we must go low. We must place ourselves under God and under the authority of God's word and see ourselves as stewards in all areas, even in our speech. Set a guard over our mouth, Lord. We must allow the tongue, like chapter 3, to be bridled like a horse, to be, to be steered like a rudder with a ship. It, we, we must allow the tongue to burn with a passion for God and for God's glory and not for self. James doesn't stop there. In verse 12, he says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one lawgiver. When we disregard God's law, we, we show our view of the body of Christ. We, we show our view of the, the law of God, but we also show our view of God himself. The way we live, the way we speak, the way we carry ourselves shows to the world our view of who God is. We have a tendency in this area, as Ray Pritchett said, just quoting him a couple times today, he, he says, we tend to usurp God's authority. Usurp God's authority. Here's the problem with judgmentalism. Here's the problem with judgmental attitudes in his, at its base. We don't know all we need to know to judge other people, do we? I look at Todd over here and I see something and I think, why is he doing that? I don't know what's going on in the behind his life. I, 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 I look and I make judgments based on what I see. I see someone acting a certain way. I don't know what's going on. We, we don't know all that we need to know to be able to make judgments of other people. Now we can judge fruit. I can look at Fred Frost's life and judge fruit. It's good fruit most of the time, unless you talk to Sandra. It's good. I, I, we, can, we can judge fruit. I, I can walk into a store, whatever your grocery store preference is, and I can know whether I want that banana or that banana based on how it is. I can judge fruit. And I can look at a Christian's life and, and, and if... If they're never worshiping the, with the body of Christ and, 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 and they, they, they never seem to, to speak in a way that is pleasant to the things of God and, and, and the world's language comes out of them constantly and the actions, you can begin to look and see there's not a lot of fruit there. You can point out sin and we must do so in love, but, but I can't judge the motive. Only God knows the motive. That's why James asked, who are you to judge your neighbor? You just never know what that girl's been through or that child's been through or that adult's been through. Who are you to judge your neighbor? I think the thing we have to get this morning is the difference here between making judgments and being judgmental. And I've been talking about it all the way through, so let me try to explain it just for a moment. Maybe it will help us today, because I think this is an area in our culture that we need to hear. Because I mentioned it a few weeks ago, in the South, we can say almost anything we want to say about someone and just add, bless her heart. And a lot of what we say is a violation, bless her heart or not, of what James is telling us here. 
So let me give you two words that I think help us understand the difference between judge, judgment and judgmentalism. And those two words are discernment and criticism. Making judgments is based on discernment. As a pastor, I can pick up on things people say on social media. Yes, I, I read social media. I can pick up on lifestyle things with people, and I can begin as a pastor to notice something's not right there. Now, I don't try to make a judgment. I just think I need to find out if everything's okay there. That's discernment. You hear something. You see something that causes you to wonder and the spirit checks you and says I wonder what's going on there and, and you think that it's discernment but but criticism is a totally different thing than than discernment we can see the speck in someone's eye and 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 having taken the log out of our own eye we can help them walk in holiness but the critical person will see the speck and make it a log and not realize they're the ones with the log and so we have to learn to, to make judgments based on Scripture and based on God's view of life. But what we can never be is judgmental. We can never be guilty of criticism. The sermon has a different place of birth than judgmentalism. Judgmentalism comes from selfish ambition. Discernment comes from God's heart and from God's word. I think maybe the greatest picture, I, I spent hours trying to think of, how do I describe this to you? How do I picture it for you? Google didn't work this time, okay? I didn't try AI because I don't trust it. I, I've seen some of those future movies. I'm not trusting AI. That's a joke. But I haven't tried AI. It'll write your own sermon, Josh. Don't try it. You'll get caught. But um, the more I prayed about it, I thought we got a perfect scene at the end of Luke 15 with the prodigal son. Just turn back for a moment. It's, it's the part of the prodigal son that that we as a church tend to skip. It's the discussion of the father with the elder brother. We always focus on the younger brother, but not the elder brother. You remember the younger brother comes home and the father meets him and he restores him and he throws a party, he kills a fatty calf, and then the elder brother comes home and he hears dancing and music. He said, what's this music? And they said, "You're." Your sons, your brothers come home. Your father's killed the fatted calf. There's a, there's a celebration, and he refuses to go in. And so the father, and it's a picture that we often ignored, but the father goes out to him, too. Just as he went to the younger brother, he goes out to him, and, and he comes to him, and he pleads with him to come in. But it's interesting, the elder brother's response shows us judgmentalism. It shows us criticism. Look at what he said. He said in verse 29, Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Let me just walk you through several things that the Lord just showed me in this passage. One, he serves out of duty and not beauty. You've heard me say that a lot. He, he serves out of duty and not beauty. He said, all these years I have served you. Does that sound like he's joyful about it? The word could be, I've slaved for you. All these years I've slaved. It's duty. He, he just did it because he was the one that was supposed to do it. He, he didn't do it out of love for the Father. He did it out of a sense of duty. And then he says, judgmental people, they, they first they serve out of duty, not out of beauty. Second, 
they overestimate their own goodness. Have you ever noticed that? Those who are judgmental overestimate their own goodness. Look what he says. I have never disobeyed your command. Never? I've got four daughters. Each of them will tell you they're my favorite. And that's true. But there are a couple of them who have acted better than the other ones. But none of them have, could say, I've never disobeyed you. Was he perfect? No. Judgmentalism will tend to get our eyes on their sin and off of our sin. I have never disobeyed your command. Third, judgmental people have a low view of the Father. If there's anything we can hear today, it's this. Judgmental people have a low view of God the Father. Here is the Father in the story, the parable, but it's representing God the Father. Look what he said. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Can I ask you, is there anything in this story that would make you think the Father wouldn't give that son a goat? He gave the younger brother a third of everything he had. He crippled himself financially so that the son could have what he wanted. Is there anything here that tells us that this father is anything but good and merciful? A goat? Surely he would have given him a flock of goats if he had asked. Judgmental people have a low view of the father. As we've seen in James, judgmental people, fourthly, forget about their relationships. But when this son of yours, it's his brother. Now every now and then, Kim has said, that daughter of yours, I know what she means. It's time for me to go have a talking with her. But this son of yours, it's, he's forgotten that it's his brother. He's forgotten the relationship that he had. His, his hatred has taken away his relational view. And then finally, judgmental people, they forget their own sins, but they keep up with the sins of others. How did he know his younger brother spent it on prostitutes? Luke, Jesus tells us he went to a far country. How did he know? This is judgmentalism at its core. But we can't stop there. Let me show you the father's response. And, and, and look at how the father responds. The father knows the son has sinned. Again, that's why he ran to meet him before the town could get to him. He knew the town would banish him if, if he got to the town before he forgave him and restored him. The father knows that the son has sinned. The father knows you've sinned. The father knows we've sinned. He, he knows the sin of the person that we typically judge. He, he knows the sin. But look, the father reminds the brother of their relationship. He says, son, you're always with me. He reminds him of the relationship that he has with this elder brother. Son, you're always with me. And then he reminds him of his generosity and all that is mine is yours. He reminds him of his goodness and his restoration, the goodness of restoration. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead. But he was, he was lost. He was dead, but he's alive. He was lost, but he's found. The father knew the son's sin, but he forgave him. Maybe one of the reasons we're more judgmental is we don't want the people we don't like to find the forgiveness we found. And that's an indictment, church, that anyone would be considered not worthy of the forgiveness we found. The Father forgives the Son when he repented. That's love. And Jesus says that's the love we're to have for others. The only way our Father can forgive us and deal with us in love is the grace provided by His Son. The Father poured out His wrath on Jesus so that we could be forgiven of our sin. 
And so when we come to him as sinners and we confess our sin, even that person who has harmed you and hurt you and makes you angry and you can't stand and you speak down on every chance you get, the Father loves that person and will forgive that person and restore that person if they will come to Christ. And the heart of a child of God wants other people to know what you know. The forgiveness of Jesus. What we see here is what God has given us. We're to love as he's loved us, Jesus said. We're to forgive as he's forgiven us. That's a work of the spirit. You can't do it in the flesh. Let the spirit work through you. And we're to treat others as we want to be treated. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what he tells us? That we should treat others as we want to be treated and not as we think they should be treated. In the spiritual matters of life, I'm glad that I don't have the authority of a judge in a courtroom. I'm not worthy because I don't know everything about it. And I just say, no one's worthy of that. So I would like to ask you, if you would, just for a few moments to bow your heads. I know that there are those who have done horrible things. And when I talk about forgiveness, you think I mean they should lose their consequences, and that is not what I'm saying. The consequences are left to God. There are people who may have done horrible things to you. And I am not just counting that. I know because I've talked to many of you. But I'll remind you. If you stick anyone into the jail cell of your bitterness. You're stuck guarding the door they've moved on you've got to let the Holy Spirit move in your life to see things from God's perspective and allow God to love through you again I know there are consequences in this world that people have to and should pay but at the same time I know I don't deserve grace I know you don't deserve grace that's why it's grace so do you talk down to others do you talk down about others do you slander and gossip There's not one good thing in the Bible about that. So could I ask you to repent of that today? Would you ask the Lord to set a guard over your mouth? The words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart would be acceptable and pleasing in His sight. You'll have to do it again tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. You'll have to do it sometimes 20 or 30 times a day or more. But you keep asking. And let him have control of the tongue. Maybe you've been a judgmental person. You need to repent of that. flip it just for a moment maybe you've been the object of someone's judgmentalism and it's made you bitter and angry you need to do the same thing Father I know how hard these things are 
We've all had people speak down to us. We've all experienced being on the other side of gossip and slander. We know how hurtful it is in our own life. And I just pray that we would not be a church that partakes of that. That we would not be a people who live according to that. That we would be a people who, who love as you've loved us. Yes. We expect holiness. Yes. We expect repentance of sin. Yes. But we also know that it's the Spirit that does those things. And so... We help in discipleship. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Some have been the victim of judgmentalism and they hurt. Would you heal them? Some have been the judgmental people and they've hurt others. Would you lead them toward repentance and then help them seek restoration where possible? May we be the people that you've called us to be. May we love you with everything we have. And may we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I just want to pause with your heads bowed just for a moment. If you need today to make a public decision, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. Maybe someone need to join the church or do something else. And if you want to do that, you can get up from where you are. There's not a person here who would move to let you by. And Tim and I will meet you there. Father, thank you. Thank you for the parable of the prodigal sons. I know what it is to be the prodigal son who went to a far country and to come home and find forgiveness. I know there may be some elder brothers here today too. They also need your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and your love. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I just want to thank a moment, thank, take a moment to thank you, Dan, for your leadership in the last few weeks. It has been tremendous. And just want to show our appreciation to Dan just for a moment and, and thank him. Thank you, Pauline. Paulina, for sharing them with us. And um, be in prayer for him as he has some spinal fusion surgery. Just be in prayer for him as he does that. Um, I think Kim is going to lead next week, and then Ronnie will be the week back the week later. So, so we're, we're getting close to, to Ronnie being back with us. But, Dan, thank you for that. I just want to remind you um, of something I said. We, we're right on time. So if the ushers would go to the doors, and as they're making their way, I, I challenged you a couple of weeks ago with a $10 challenge. If every giving unit, there are 200 giving units, give or take, in our church, if every one of us would give an extra $10 a week, that would be, you figure it out real quick. Uh, my brain just, I had the math at one time. What is that, Frank? You're good at that kind of thing. An extra, an extra 10, basically $2,000. So, you know, it's 100,000 plus a year if we would just give $10 more, the price of a Happy Meal. Isn't that a shame that a Happy Meal, maybe, maybe it's a Big Mac meal, but it costs $10. And so I'm just asking you to pray about that. It may be more, maybe you can't do that, but would you pray that we would continue to give to show our love toward our Father and to support the church and its local ministries? I promise you, there are a lot of needs that our church meets week after week after week, and you're a part of that. And so I just want to challenge you. Please stay and be a part of Sunday School. God bless you. Thanks for being here.